0: Some of this, it's instant analysis time on the State of Combat podcast, CBS Sports. Your boy, the Ryan Campbell, just moments removed from honestly a savage and spectacular UFC 249 card. Jacksonville, Florida, no fans, no problem on this night as UFC came back. Little less than two months removed from their last card amid this crazy and unprecedented global pandemic. Yeah, a couple of hiccups on the way there, unfortunately. Shout out to Jacare Soza and his team who came down with COVID uh, during the, the weigh-in time, during heading into this little snafu with the contract, so to speak. More on that to come, but uh, that doesn't matter right now. What matters is the fights, and this fight card was loaded on paper, and boy, did it deliver with headlines one after another. Nobody bigger on this night than Justin Gaethje stopping Tony Ferguson in th- in the 5th round of an absolute all-action savage war like we thought not necessarily fight of the year fight of the decade type of fight as it was more one-sided in the direction of Gaethje but wow did it deliver violence and uh and a stunning turn to be honest with you and no I I haven't been the biggest Uh, Justin Gaethje supporter to the idea that he's a truly elite fighter the three first round knockouts that he that he uh, held coming into here were impressive you saw minor tweaks in the beginning of an evolution but it went full throttle today this was the the full Monty this was the uh, cocoon opening and the butterfly taking off holy crap Justin Gaethje the highlight is the real deal And boy, am I fired up here on this IA pod to break it all down with you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're hanging in there. We got some normalcy back. Dana White and company, for better or worse, through some controversy and some criticism that's evolved now into almost, you know, high fives and praise. Shout out to the UFC team. It is a well-run, oiled machine. They pulled it off tonight in Jacksonville, the first of an ambitious run of three fight cards in eight days at ViStar Veterans Memorial Arena. And uh, I, I need a breather and a cigarette or something after after how wild this fight card was. Shout out to everyone involved. Shout out to you, the SOC listener. Uh, we You know, we had your back coming in. Big time previews. Trigger Rashad Evans joining me. We had interviews with everybody from Dana White to Cowboy Cerrone. And now we got your back covered on the IA. Don't. Please don't miss our uh, bonus episodes that we had also in the recent days. Wrestling legend Jim Ross on there. The SOC. Always deep in your ear hole bringing it, of course, with that one and only performance enhancing audio. But it's about UFC 249 tonight. Boy, am I impressed. I'm not impressed by your performance. Hey, GSP. Speaking of GSP, going in the Hall of Fame tonight. Shout out to that in the class of 2020. Nobody better than that professional right there. But, uh... On the other side, quick break, quick pause for the cause. I'm going to break this all down for you UFC 249 in the books after a word from our friends and sponsors. Yeah, dig it. And we're back. Get fired up. UFC 249. Guys, Justin Gaethje did something tonight with patience, IQ. Shout out to Coach Trevor Whitman. And just really a blend of technical striking, yet on a powerful, savage level that I've really never seen before. Uh, Exactly like this in this package. You're fighting a guy in Tony Ferguson who's... Twelve fight win streak. We all know that. Just a just a crazy individual in terms of his mental focus, his training, his ability to absorb punishment. You knew that Tony Ferguson was going to try to outlast Justin Gaethje on this night. There were many times in rounds two, three, four, Tony's face is falling apart. He's the one eating giant shots. Get in the back of your mind. You are like, I've seen this before. I've seen Justin Gaethje go in the deep end against Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier. And when he finds somebody that can meet his match. Technically, and from a backbone perspective, he can be stopped. And even though he had made minor evolutions and evolvements, if that's even a word, it is, though, by the way. um, I still thought when you get in there with Tony Ferguson, you're in there with a guy who's got too many ways to win. He can he can pull a crazy roll on you and submit you out of nowhere. He could do a lot of things. And we also know that Justin Gage just doesn't use his wrestling. So I'm like, okay, he's going to be a caveman. He's going to walk Ferguson down. He's going to have his moments, but eventually he's going to get stopped. And short of the insane uppercut that Justin Gaethje took to the bottom of the chin to end round two, that dropped him briefly and and seemed like if that wasn't in the closing seconds of the round, maybe, just maybe, Tony could have followed that up. uh, This was Justin's night, start to finish. And the fact that he never gassed out, the fact that he was so poised and patient that even though he did you know he ate some shots. I mean believe him, he ate some shots, he wasn't reckless. There like this wasn't your fight of the year because Justin didn't really allow it to become a crazy brawl. It was more of a one sided violent shellacking where like I'm gonna be honest with you, there were points in this fight where you're like, "I I gotta pour one out for Tony Ferguson. Like I this he's not human. He is not friggin' human. Like, face the damn pain, all right? His chin is deteriorating. No, no, Connor, his chin isn't. That's the crazy thing. His chin is is insane. Have we ever seen a chin, heart, mind, body, and soul performance like we've seen from Tony Ferguson tonight? I mean, like, I don't know what you win for that, right? Like, is there an award for that? Is there an interim title for that? No. You can get a lot of respect, though, and I've already really, really, really respected Tony Ferguson. And now, I mean, this is mythical crap. What he was willing to put himself through and the fact that Gagey was able to just stay in that aggressor position and, like I said, never get tired, never overextend himself and just constantly land explosive left hooks and right crosses, the kind that, yes, like one of those knockout 70% of fighters, you know? two or three of those over the course of a fight knock out most guys. I don't know the numbers, but Ferguson ate just a just a, uh, a disgusting amount. And even when he was wobbled by that jab in round five, um, he was still willing to go, man. And shout out to Herb Dean. That was obviously a dangerous situation. Ferguson just wouldn't fall. I think he got dropped to his knee twice in this fight, but was right back up. And, you know, he's not going to take himself out of this fight. You're going to have to take him out. So, it's... <laughs> I need a deep breath here for a second. Wow, wow! Yep, face the pain. Here, you're going to face the pain for a second. I'm going to take another drink of the water. Woo! <laughs> Tony Ferguson. Um, you know there were those narratives coming in that I employed more than one occasion. That you know this is a unnecessary chance. You're going in there against a Guy and Gaethje, even if you beat him, he's going to take a piece of you that you're never going to get back. Yet I do give Ferguson the respect that he knows his window is closing. He's not going to f- chase Habib a 7th, 8th, and ninth time. This was his Super Bowl. He was going to fight Gaethje. He thought he was going to win. And, you know, you didn't know. Is he going to get Habib next? Maybe he gets Connor next. Maybe he gets uh, Masvidal after that. Well, he did not win. So, in theory, it's like he's got to go back back of the line in an insanely crowded division, like a historically deep division. But I think because of his savage performance in defeat here, you know, he's going to end up, I mean, look, this is a company move for him to take this fight on this type of short notice and make wait for no reason two weeks ago. And I mean, you know, he's going to end up getting, I think, money fights from this type of performance. I mean, would you love to see him in Nate Diaz or someone like that or Masvidal? at all? Yeah, obviously. But it is disappointing to the idea that. You could have made the case heading in here that Ferguson is like one of the greatest lightweights in UFC history and maybe like one of the greatest fighters. I know that sounds crazy, but I had him in like the top five or six of my pound for pound for like three years now. We're waiting for him to finally get to that moment, get to the Habib fight, get to that time where he could be a household name and be the champion if he could beat the champion at the time. And he didn't get there. And there was crazy bad luck and injury and how the heck looking back – Uh, after he hurt his leg, remember, in the uh, TV studio, and then he did uh, zero rehab and just trained himself back up in six months and fought Anthony Pettis in that war. I mean, the guy's a savage. And it was tough to see him not win this fight when he was willing to die in that cage. And you you say that, and it's a harsh statement. But, I mean, that's true. That's exactly where it was tonight. And yet, Justin Gaethje was better than that. Justin Gaethje was better than Tony Ferguson tonight. Like, wow. You know how great this division is. You know, Dustin Poirier went on that little run of reinvention. And it's like, oh, my God, Dustin Poirier's great. And then he goes in there and he gets absolutely humbled by Habib. And, I'm, and you know, and that could obviously happen to Justin Gaethje just the same. Yet right now, man, he looks like everything. Because what he had to go through just pace-wise, just savagery to get by Tony Ferguson tonight. I mean, he had to show so many intangibles, and Justin Gaethje has that. I mean, he puts almost everything into a shot, so he's going to knock out the B-minus, the B, the the B-plus guys. But to do this against a super elite, which Tony Ferguson is, he is, he showed you that tonight. I really don't have anything negative to say about Tony Ferguson's performance tonight. I mean, he took heavy damage, and he kept coming. And he creatively found ways to land big shots. I mean, it was, yes, largely one sided, but you know, he had pockets of moments. He landed the kind of shot that wobbled Gaethje, that finishes most people. So, this is all to pad. And, and ultra praise how great of a win this is for Justin Gaethje. This is one of the better wins in a long time to go in there against a guy that great who's going to pour the entire jug out. I mean, it's it's almost, you know, as as much as I respect Weili Zhang for what she did against that version of Ioana um, in that five-round insane war. It was like that. Justin Gaethje is, is, is a real man. I mean, he's the real deal. And the fact that Habib tweets out—Habib's hilarious, by the way. He doesn't get this credit enough, you know? If you want to find me, please just send me a location. Your location tonight, Habib, was your Twitter account when you tweeted out, quote, no comment, which is great. And we know that Habib and Justin have the same manager and Ali Abdelaziz. So there's like some, you know, there's certain respect there for each other, Um you know, it's not you're not gonna get number one BS or anything. This is number one bullshit. No one's gonna smash anybody. I'm gonna smash your boy guys. Um there's respect there. I have no idea what a Habib Dramagamedov just engaging fight looks like. And I need that fight. I wanna see it. Um it sucks that this essentially ends Tony Habib. their their rivalry like they you know who knows they may end up fighting each other maybe tony goes on a little run like you never know what's gonna happen maybe habib loses to justin and then fights tony but it'll never be what it what it would have been or what it could have been or what it meant right now if Habib had been able to fight Tony. So it's always sad when you see that fall apart. And by the way, even if Tony had won, how are we not going to act like Dana may not have put Connor in that spot one more time? You know, and maybe said, hey, Tony, how about you and your interim title go go for the BMF belt? Like, obviously that could have happened. Uh, but it doesn't happen. Now we're like, what is Justin Gaethje, Habib, and their Magomedov going to look like? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously, in theory, Justin Gaethje can wrestle, so that should offset a bit of the advantage that Habib normally holds over guys, although, look, nobody's Habib on the ground. But Habib can be hit, and Justin Gaethje's showing you that he's got knockout power and like, everything he does, and when he's being patient like this, and you know he's got a sick gas tank, and you know he's got caveman sensibilities from the standpoint of a chin in his willingness to go places look I mean they, they went Tony Ferguson went to a place tonight I don't even know if it's on the map you know like we used to uh ill advisedly in high school right like go to the, the city next door which was Waterbury Connecticut for me and be like let's find the craziest neighborhood and just drive through it right like like that was ever a good idea after like a couple 40s and you know inevitably you'd end up in a really bad neighborhood in which you know, the locals would be coming out in the middle of the street to try to stop your car. And then you speed away like, oh, we did it. We did it. But you're not really in the deep end of the water there. You're just teasing it. Tony Ferguson set up shop in the deep end of the pool tonight. And that's what Justin Gaethje can do at any point. What would happen if somebody dragged Habib there? Oh, my God. We have never seen that. Um, I love this division. What it does to us. What it... it and, and By the way, if we end up seeing Justin against Habib next there was some idea that maybe well then maybe we go Connor Masvidal for BMF but did anybody catch on uh I don't know if it was Instagram or Twitter somebody sent me a screenshot of it Dana tweeted something out Nate Diaz had a snarky comment to Dana and then Connor underneath it was like dude sign the contract so if we're sending Connor into a third Nate fight given all the crazy uncertainties of the of the pandemic and all that I'm here for that I'm here for that okay I'm here for that. Thank you. That's just my personal editorial for the moment. But I am here for that. I'm also here for Justin Gaethje getting what he deserves, which is a title shot. Um, didn't see this happening. He was supposed to be the bridesmaid in this division right now, right? The guy who's going to just gonna have to wait on the outside and get passed over like Max Holloway had to do, like Tony Ferguson had to do right now. We've seen this happen before. Um, but, no, he goes out there and, and he puts on a, a performance of a lifetime in every category. So shout out to Justin for that and double shout out for Gaethje for not accepting that interim trinket and throwing it to the ground. And I know I had a long debate with my colleague Luke Thomas on uh, Morning Combat this past week about this, where he's saying, you know, who cares, bro? Let the interim titles float out there. That's the only way the guys get paid. Hey, um, UFC makes their own rules. They can pay anybody at any time. So I hate that excuse. I hate interim trinkets. They mean nothing. Do you remember that story? The 91 Lakers, the last time Magic Johnson, before he walked away from the sport with HIV, they won the Western Conference Championship, and Sam Perkins, who was on that team, he was a big free agent signing for them from Dallas, he's celebrating in the locker room. He's looking around. He's like, guys, we did it. Magic looks him in the eye. This is, you know, hearsay. Obviously, I wasn't there. And Magic's just like, nope, settle down, bro. We don't celebrate Western Conference Championships on this team. Uh, you're damn right, Magic, you don't, because that was Magic's 12th year. And he had been in the finals like nine times and won it five times. So, like, you know, act like you've been there before. Um, Gaethje's never been here before, yet he acted like it. And that I love that. He's like, no, don't give me that interim crap. And I know we've seen different guys, like Tony Ferguson still carrying that interim strap around today that they stripped him of a while back for no reason. So some guys use it as a status symbol. Some guys like Gaethje is like, it ain't the real thing. Give me give me the real thing. So I respect that. I also respect the double play that Tony Ferguson pulled. What do I mean by that? At first, he shugged off Justin Gaethje's attempt to come hug him. And I love that because that's, that's on brand for Tony. It's almost like, no, bro, you don't understand who I am, what I just put into and you beat me. Yet then he came back around and gave him the hug and they had the moment. So I kind of like that he did both of those at the same time. Respect to Tony Ferguson. Um. I don't know how a, how a human body can bounce back from the beating Tony took. I don't know what the future of his career is. I don't know. 36 and um you can't hurt this guy. I mean, I mean even even in this savage fight he was still on his feet, trying trying to fight. So I have no idea, but I love that man and I have so much respect for him. So, what a wild main event. Yeah, if this card ended before the main event, it already was wild enough. This is a freaking insane card, folks. And that co-main event of heading in the whole narrative is could C- Dominic Cruz, your former two-time champion, 35, four years removed, could he use his crazy footwork and, and crazy cadence and do the impossible and end the king of cringe? Don't forget what Joe Benavides once said to Cejudo. I used to f*** guy cool. like you in high school. <laughs> uh, all right. Um could he do that? Well no he couldn't do it in the end on this one. But the story here isn't, you know, what was a great performance from Henry Cejudo or the somewhat questionable stoppage, and I do understand from Dominic Cruz's standpoint, he gets kneed in the face, he gets punched when he's down, he gets flurries of punches, yet he's circling away, and when you see a guy rise to his feet as the fight is being stopped, you feel for him. I've never heard Dominic Cruz use the kind of language he used afterwards where he's like I told the referee Keith Peterson um, don't call the fight until I'm not cold. I mean that is a that is they, they're they're not like I mean what, you know, Joan Osborne, what if God was one of us? What if uh one of us could be in the shoes we're not one of these people. We're not like these fighters. They're they are they are a different breed, man, so shout out to that. But um the headline is none of that. The headline is Henry Sahudo just up and retired at age thirty three. Like what? So let's set the scene here. Great victory for him. Whether you thought it's crap that he's fighting Cruz or that he was supposed to be fighting Aldo and not fighting any of these killers in this deep line of guys from Sanhagen to Sterling to Peotreyan, pick take your pick. Right, it's a it's a killer division. But this four fight win streak Henry Cejudo on, is on is historic. The only person who has had a better four fight run is John Jones at the right, starting with who with uh, Shogun Hua through Machida and Rampage and Rashad. It's basically like a five-fight run. If you want to throw in the Vitor Belfort, it's a six-fight run. I mean, it's insane. Hudo on this current run, and it's not just those four fights, by the way. I think overall he's got a uh, six-fight win streak. So shout-out to him stopping Wilson Hayes and getting the decision over Sergio Pettis. But the current four fights that I'm talking about, he beats Demetrius Johnson by split decision to win the flyweight title when well, nobody does that. He knocks out T.J. Dillashaw at 125, excuse me. And then he goes up for the vacant belt against Marlon Moraes. loses the first two rounds and knocks him out. And now he's in there against a game Dom Cruz. And he kicked the crap out of Dom Cruz's legs to slow down the only path to victory Cruz had by be, by taking the lead and doing his crazy dance steps. And then even after suffering a cut on an accidental headbutt in which Cejudo's face is covered in blood, he goes out there and lands a perfect counter knee strike. I mean, he's 33. He's prime. He's in your discussion for Pound for Pound King. The Pound for Pound King is is Habib right now, guys. Like, let's wake up and know that. John Jones is still two in my mind, even though he's had a couple close ones there. Um, who I think I already had him three you could argue that he's two right now you can argue that he's one with these type of performances how patient he is how much uh, he makes adjustments ahead of fights the guy's freaking great and then he comes out there and just retires and says I want to start a family I was shocked in the moment I didn't think anything nefarious or, or trickery going on but then you get the tweets Like, I'm not thinking about wolf tickets in that moment. You know, they're they're selling you all wolf tickets, people. You're eating them right up. George here is selling wolf tickets. Dana here, he's selling wolf tickets. The UFC is selling some wolf tickets. You guys are eating them right up. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Um, John Bones Jones tweeted out basically like, hey, guys, wake up. Um, This is a leverage play, and now it makes a lot of sense. So who don't want to get paid like a superstar? And to be honest... Look, I've been dismissive of him at, at certain turns. Not his ability, but it's more of the cringe thing. And, and, you know, he said it after the fight. I may be corny. I may be cringy, but I'm, I'm great. And he's great. He's a great fighter. Um, He is the Conor McGregor of the low weight classes. He is. Do I want to see him not defend this title against any of those prime guys and kind of bounce around and fight Aldo and Cruz and, I don't know, Garbrandt or Dillashaw, or I mean, whoever's around? No. But... If anyone's going to get a chance at being a three division champion, like I, you know, I mean, it'd be nice if Connor got that chance. If he ever fought Us- uh, Usman, I mean, Cejudo is showing you that he kind of deserves it. He didn't deserve it initially, I thought, to fight for the second title. But what he's doing right now, you can't hold him back. So maybe one day he does move up to feather, especially right now when you have a short in stature champion of Alexander Volkanovski. Who isn't that much taller than Cejudo? That would make sense. But let's even shelf that. The guy, uh, the guy should get paid. That's it. He's great. He's marketable. He's an Olympic hero and champion. He's hits that Mexican American market, which almost no one has been able to do for UFC. Cain Velasquez never really hit that. Brown Pride forever. Um, I hope Triple C's not done. Now, if he is, and if he really wants to go out on top of his health and, and and start a family and try to become a crossover actor or whatever, like, yeah, dude, go for it. Like, anytime anyone's controlling their own narrative in a sport that inevitably nobody nobody gets out alive, nobody gets out better than they started. Like, nobody beats the game. You know, it's like Floyd Mayweather, nobody else. <laughs> like, like, it's so rare and, and few and far between. I mean, GSP walking away. Twice on his own rec- record is so rare. Um, if he wants to do that, fine. I don't believe that he's going to do that, though. I don't believe he should do that. I do believe, though... I believe it, in UFC where there's no there's no easy fights, right? There's no uh, soft touches. I'd almost like to see a guy like him with this type of star power to get in every other fight deal going. And that means I fight the next guy in line, the next killer. So if it's Peter Jan, if it's whatever... And then, then you pair me with the old guy that's going to sell and pad my resume a bit. I know that that's – like you give into that as a fan or critic or journalist of MMA, then you're basically saying, okay, MMA become boxing. And nobody wants that. But at the same time, like there should be something toward a certain level of protection for stars to maintain them. It's, a, it's an interesting argument, right? I mean, look what happened in the NFL, although it's not a a parallel argument. You know, you protect the quarterbacks so they don't get hurt, and then all the passing records get broken now. But at the end of the day, you want your quarterbacks out there, and at the end of the day, in combat sports, you want to have long-reigning stars and champions, as long as you have a system that forces them to inevitably face the best. Canelo's doing the best job of that in boxing right now, almost on the every-other-fight deal, like... Give me, I'll, I'll fight the easy guy I want. Okay, then I'll fight the guy you want me to fight. I don't know. I'm just saying if Cejudo really wants to keep fighting, pay the man his pay the man his money because I don't like Cejudo. He's a cringe bastard. Can I say cringe bastard on my own podcast? Is that even polite? Can I even say crap like that? Connor, Connor do you know what wrestling here? I can I vest my belly in your forehead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't think I could say that on my own show, but I will. He's a cringy bastard, but I respect the balls out of what Henry Cejudo is doing. So shout out to that. I don't think Dominic Cruz should retire. He was uncertain afterwards. He was more complaining about the stoppage. Um, I would like to see Dom Cruz against like I uh, I don't need a fourth Faber fight, but a Dillashaw rematch. You know, if that's Dillashaw's comeback fight, let's say from suspension. Um, A Garbrandt rematch. I mean, I think there's certain fights you can make that could be really, you know, co-main events that people are well interested in. I think Dominic Cruz should be allowed to have the Rich Franklin portion of his career, which I that's that's a reference I always make. Remember when Rich had lost the second title fight to Anderson Silva? He was now an old name, he floated between two divisions and basically just fought one old guy after another in main events that were fun as heck. Like, oh, I'll fight Wanderleif Silva. I'll fight Chuck Liddell. Oh, I'll fight uh, the Kung Lee. Right, like, like that's the where you get as an old guy. Like Anderson Silva should not be fighting Jared Cannonier or Derek Brunson ever. Right, he should be in full time old guy mode. You use his name to make other young stars on the rise in big, more important fights, or you only pair him against other old names and fun, creative fights that sell tickets. I don't know if Dominic Cruz would even be interested in that because of the competitor that he is. But I don't think he should be done. He works so hard to get back every step of the way all the time. I need more Dominic Cruz in my life. The guy is hes inspirational as hell. I want to shout him out for uh, what he wants to do with his platform. The comments he made heading into this fight. I mean, he's like it's like a TED Talk hearing this guy talk. I love me some Dom Cruz. So, um, tough night at the office. But, you know, you, you made it back. And you were you were formidable in there. So, shout out to Dom. But, you know, it was always going to be an uphill battle for Dom. Despite the 4-inch height and reach advantage against Cejudo. If he couldn't hurt Cejudo. And since he was unable to consistently take the lead. Or really ever take the lead. Because of those leg kicks. He wasn't in this fight. It, on that level. But he was game. All right? I think there's more fights from i love to see him rematch Demetrius Johnson, although we obviously can't because DJ's over there and won. But, um, yeah, that is that. So shout-out to Henry Cejudo. But uh, how could we go this many minutes into an uh, instant analysis podcast and just mention Francis Ngannou for the first time? Good Lord, is this man violent and vicious and, like, I mean, he walked down in 20 seconds, Jairzinho Rosenstruck, a guy who, if he didn't do this, could have gotten him out of there with one punch, knowing how dangerous and violent this man is. But Francis Ngannou just confidently is like, you know what, I'm going to walk straight at you and throw like a six-punch combo. And the first three are going to be such helicopter shots that you're just going to back up and not know what's coming. And then one of those is going to land flush and turn your chin and end the fight. It's insanely impressive what Francis Ngannou, at 33 has done from that rough stretch in 2018. All right? He, he blows over him away, he basically kills him. And the greatest, really, the greatest knockout in UFC history. I'll, I'll fight you if you don't believe that. Gets a title shot he really didn't deserve, but they're fast-tracking him. Maybe he's the next uh, Mike Tyson of MMA, or the first Mike Tyson of MMA. I mean, he got that title shot, like, less than two months later. He lays an egg against Stipe, right? He landed a bomb early, can't wrestle, can't do anything, lays an egg. Then the horrific performance against Derek Lewis. But look at these four fights since then. Rematch with a red-hot Curtis Blades knocks him out in 45 seconds. Cain Velasquez knocks him out in 26 seconds. Junior Dos Santos knocks him out in 71 seconds. And unbeaten Jairzinho Rosenstruck knocks him the hell out in 20 seconds. I did not like that Francis did not call anybody out. That he didn't say, Stipe, I'm coming for you. I'm going to kill you. I did like that DC was hilarious enough on commentary to just essentially go, I want to see Francis fight for a title. I just don't want it to be against me. And then a big chuckle. So shout out to DC on that. I love me some DC. DC, not everything works, bro. But that was one of the things that worked. I could be fat. I could not have a six pack. But my dick works. My dick works. Sorry, two things. Those are two things that worked right there. Uh, Francis Ngannou is a scary individual. I actually don't know. Because we didn't learn from these this four fight knockout streak. If he can wrestle, if he has stamina, but he has the confidence back, he has the swagger, and he has the experience—not just of having lost, but from like mentally getting kind of destroyed. Don't forget that two fight losing skid, he became like a pariah. Dana White was calling him out and in in talking bad about him. Oh, he partying too much. He thought too big. Maybe he did get too big for himself. Maybe he's buying cars. Maybe he thought maybe he believed his own headlines. But he's figured it out now. And he's scary as balls. And I know you can hang later in the heavyweight division and stay elite, as Stipe and DC are showing us right now, as Randy Couture showed us, as, as, as his story, history has showed us. But one of these days, is going to get caught and not get up. Uh, and, and it may happen the next time he faces Francis. And that's not a disrespectful thing to Stipe. He's incredible. He takes a lick in and he keeps on ticking and i don't know if stepe is going to fight dc again i don't know if dana's going to double cross stepe and create an interim title i don't know but frank the tank francis Nganu, is is ready for all the smoke he's ready for the full bong okay wow what a performance um shout out to calvin cater in this featherweight catchweight bout against jeremy stevens i pick stevens Because he missed weight, and usually the guy that misses weight doesn't have to cut down as much. They come in with a chip on their shoulder because they lost 30% of their purse, and Stevens hasn't won in four fights. I thought he was going to come in there and just land a bomb. And to his credit, he hurt Cater and walked him down, and for like a round and a half, you're like, Jeremy Stevens not only has the best tan I've ever seen since Stefan Bonner and the Anderson Silva fight, but he is looking great, and Calvin Cater just bit down, figured him out, adjusted And then brutalized him with that counter elbow to the face and the finish right after. Uh, Stevens took it like a man and he always does. You know, I don't think we give Jeremy Stevens the love he deserves on a couple fronts. All right. Name the last Jeremy Stevens fight that sucked. Right. Or like, I mean, you know, the two fights with the Rodriguez gave us all that trash talk and all that all that colorfulness. Um, He's either going to knock you out or get knocked out and he's a tremendous interview why because inevitably you will piss him off in that interview by saying something that he believes he's getting slighted with and he just drops f bombs and he'll come at you over the phone i love that ish but calvin cater who joe rogan has been calling like the potential dark horse of this featherweight division he looked great tonight that's a great win and he's like something like 10 and 2 in his last 12 and you know we saw him lose that fight against Zabit yet yeah, he came on late in that third round and looked really good. So Calvin Cater's starting to look for real at age uh what, twenty-eight, twenty-nine in that area. He's putting it together. Uh he's thirty-two, I'm sorry, from from Massachusetts. Only losses in the UFC were to Zabi, and then he lost a decision to Hinaido Moicano. But uh this is this is fun to see him on this run. You know, he's beating guys like Touchy Feely, Shane Burgos, Ricardo Lamas. And when you add Jeremy Stevens to that, he's looking very good. Greg Hardy um, tonight, he got hit hard early. And then Jorgen Castro, who I think had a foot injury, just kind of stopped trying the last two rounds. And Hardy takes home a 3-0 decision. Decision a little wonky because I thought Jorgen Castro clearly won that first round. But Jorgen DeCastro was hella wonky himself for kind of just not throwing anything. Really, midway through that second round, he just plain stopped trying. I didn't get it. He looked like he had enough stamina to keep fighting. Even with a foot injury, it's like either give it all you got or or bow out. All right? And that's easy for me to say. I'm not like one of them. All right? <laughs> I, I ain't taking that, that punch. I, I don't belong in the deep end of the pool. Um, But maybe neither does Jorgen DeCastro. We're going to find out. Greg Hardy, though, continues to show you things. Poise, patience, confidence, uh, you know, dope athleticism. Am I allowed to say dope as a 41-year-old white guy? I'm not sure. But dope athleticism, Um, that was a good win. I I mean, hate on him. Hate on him all you want. I kind of hate on him, too. The nickname's lame. He's kind of lame. He's got the awful, awful history with women. But he's getting better, man. He's getting really better. Really better is that a word? Um, it's late at night, guys. Okay, all right. Anderson Silva, you absolutely suck. So does so does my vocabulary right now. All right, this preliminary card main event, I guaranteed you it would be action, and I've been guaranteeing left and right on CBS Sports HQ that Anthony the bet to make was Anthony Pettis by KO over Cerrone. Shout out to the Cowboy. All right, shout out to Donald Cerrone. Couple months removed from from really crapping crapping his pants against Connor. Um, he was focused. This looked like early UFC Cowboy, right? Like after the WEC dissolved. Remember that fight? I thought I really think Cowboy's best win still might be um, Eddie Alvarez. Eddie comes over from Bellator, and Cowboy just bites down and says, you know what, you're not doing this tonight. And he was tough, and he was quick, and he had a great game plan, and it was kicks to the stomach. It was counter right hands. That's what he did tonight against Pettis. But Love Handle... Dowie, welterweight, short notice, Anthony Pettis is still hella explosive. These guys put on a fun-ass three rounds. I'll give Cowboy credit for making it to the finish and having a shot at that decision. It goes 29-28 across the board to Pettis. I thought Pettis should have won. Cerrone falls to Owen 4 in his last four, but this wasn't disastrous. This wasn't troublesome. Uh, he took some bombs from Pettis, and he kept figuring it out. Fun little fight. Shout-out to these guys. I mean, really, shout-out to this card. I mean, again, what a weird circumstance overall that you're doing this empty arena card. And I know they did one in Brazil on March 14th. It it, just—it wasn't like this, though. You know, I mean, the stakes clearly weren't as high, but this was just weird where, you know, the announcers are talking about— that By the way, the announcers are at separate tables around the octagon, which is kind of weird too. And they're talking about how they can hear the fighters breathing and they can hear the violence you know, so much cleaner. And then the fighters are talking about how they can hear the announcers and they're adjusting to the analysis. Greg Hardy, Carla Esparza saying they're hearing Daniel Cormier kind of tell them what they should be doing. And then they're doing it. That's wild. We've never had to deal with that. And then the fighters can also hear the corners. At one point, I think there was trash talk from one corner to the other in one of the fights. But you can hear the instruction right there. I mean, it's just a weird dynamic. There's like you know, five or six or seven media people, but that's it, and commission people, but very small amount. Megan Oliva's running around. There's a very small amount of people there. Yet the fight's still delivered. It created this weird dynamic. I give a shout-out to everyone. I mean, this is a deep-ass card. And these fights were great. Pettis Ceroni was great. Alexi Olenek against Fabricio Verdum was a great ass fight between two 42 year old heavyweights with no gas tanks. I mean, Verdum's coming back from a two year break. I picked Olenek by upset, and I've been talking it up all week. And he came out there, man, guns blazing. What a fun ass little fight. Carla Esparza, Michelle Waterson. not a great fight, even though straw weights always deliver, but it had moments. I thought Waterson deserved better on the scorecards there, but they favored Esparza's um, wrestling and her aggressiveness. So even though I thought Watterson's counterpunching was much better and hella violence and shout out here to Vicente Luque and Nico Price at welterweight. This was a rematch of their fire fight from a few years ago that Luque won by submission. He gets a stoppage here when the doctor comes in and Nico Price's face is just falling apart. I was not woke to the Nico Price experience. I've seen him fight before. I know who he is, but I didn't know him, right? Not in the biblical sense know him. Yeah, I'm not going there. Right? Welcome. No, welcome to this era. Yeah, I'm not going there with him, but um I didn't know that he was this type of psychotic savage that he was. He made this fight so much fun. Luke always makes fights fun cuz he just lets his hands go and doesn't care about defense at times, but um really good win for Luke who It's like, don't sleep on him now. He's still only 28. Okay, he he lost a decision to Stephen Thompson last year, and he lost a 2017 decision to Leon Edwards. But outside of that, he's something like 10-2 and going back to 2015. And he fights every three months on the dot. I mean... He's putting together a fun little package. Okay, split decision over Mike Perry, stops Brian Barberina, which that was a war, by the way. Uh, knocks out the tarantula guy, Jalen Turner. Two wins over Nico Price. Got the win over Bilal Muhammad. I remember that 205. You know, those are good wins. They're not great. He's by no means has a great winner, nor am I saying this is a welterweight title contender. But he's he's something. I mean, he's making noise. In in more to come on this guy. Um, he's going to have to iron himself out a little bit. But as a as a filler guy for now, he's becoming an elite filler guy. You put him on the prelim card, you forget that he's on there. You tune in, and he's brawling. And and Nico Price, I don't know what the heck they're going to do to this guy because uh, this guy loves to bang. And he's gonna he got knocked out by Jeff Neal. Then he knocks out James Vick. Now he gets knocked out by Luke. It, he alternates it. He's got some wild performances of the night. I I need to be in on this. Uh, another guy as well is this this Bryce Mitchell, Arkansas, thug nasty dude. I knew about him coming in, 25 years old, watched his last few fights. He improves to 13 and 0. He absolutely dominated Charles Rosa over three rounds in which he had a reckless pursuit of a submission that was... Very similar to you. Ever go out for spring break? You go out to a club. Let's say you're you're going to like Daytona Beach or like you know. The, and I'm not talking about an elite spring break location. Obviously, I'm talking about like the, the sketchy spring break locations. Like, hey, let's go to spring break in Fort Lauderdale, right? Or you know, I've been to spring break in Daytona a few times, even in my early 20s. Which you can argue, since we're this deep in the show, this late at night, how dirtbaggery that is to begin with when you're like 24 and you're going to spring break. Anyway. You know there's you know the old guy at the club he's like a local he's just a scrummy scummy old guy right that guy aggressively seeks out and attacks uh 18 year old college women on the dance floor with the same passion that Bryce Mitchell goes for submissions against Charles Rosa on this night at UFC 249 I mean it was insanity he almost got a twister twice I mean it was how is Charles Rosa this This tough in in, in this uh, I mean, he stuck with it to survive and he survived. What do you win? You win nothing. You lost. But uh, what a hell of a performance by Bryce Mitchell. He's he's somebody he's somebody. Okay, he's a uh, featherweight. This is this is somebody to watch. He's fun. He's aggressive. He's aggressive on the mic. He's been calling out Reebok to make those camo shorts. Hey, Reebok, make him the camo shorts. He's fun as crap. He's 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 rednecky. He's, he's Hick Diaz. You know, he, he's Jason Knight style, but, uh, I love him. And, uh, Ryan Spann gets the split decision over Sam Alvey to kick off the card. That fight didn't suck either. So, um, well, it sucked most of the time. All right. Now we're rambling. Um, thank you, Dana White, Company UFC. Uh, I, I mentioned off the top, it wasn't a perfect night, it wasn't a perfect weekend. Um, Jacare Souza didn't end up fighting Uriah Hall. Jacare. So here's the story. Jacare tells UFC. He lives in Orlando. He drives up to Jacksonville. He gets there. He says, I've had exposure to someone in my family with COVID. So he gets the same test that all the fighters get. They get the prick on the finger for the blood test. They get the nose swab test. I'm not getting that nose swab test, by the way, under any circumstances. You can call me really bad names if you want. But I've turned on the flu test before. What's the flu test where they stick the Q-tip up your nose and kind of touch your brain? Somehow the COVID test, that Q-tip is like five times the size, all right? Anyway, um, it's 2020. Can we get a better way to check out whether someone's ill or not than sticking something into their brainstem and rubbing it? I mean, this is like ridiculous. Um, so Jacare takes the test. UFC, in their statement after they find out he has COVID, puts out that he right away, him and his team got, got uh, you know, put in sequestered. They got sequestered. What's the word I'm looking for? they You know, they got put alone in their hotel room, and they had no exposure to anybody. Problem with that is it wasn't true. So when they had the weigh-in and the face-offs, uh, Fabricio Verdun was putting out Instagram Live videos, and, and they're seeing Jacare there with the mask and the gloves on, but, like, broing out with dudes. And he gives... Dana the fist bump and he's hanging out there well it turns out they find out Friday he's got COVID and so do his team members there he's asymptomatic though so I can understand you know there wasn't an initial panic but that's a bad look it's a bad look moving forward um, you know he didn't need to be at at uh at a face-off at that point, if there's still a question. you got to wait till you get the results back at that point. So hopefully UFC will iron that out. The, the statement that they put out didn't feel fully accurate with all that. But at the end of the day, um, that's why they're paying a lot of money for this testing. Hopefully, Jock Ray didn't spread it around to anybody else. I still believe that in this craziness and uncertain times, as long as you're paying for the testing, which UFC is, and they're paying an ass load, that if you show up to a city, you get tested, and you don't have it, you can fight. Are you going to get I mean, like I'm st- like, I don't I'm not going to fight. I want to let my kids fight. But, you know, fighters are going to fight. I, I'm going to work and cover it. I want to watch fights. Let's do it. It's time. We got to, We got to start moving. So shout out to UFC for pulling that off. The other crazy thing. And Kevin Ellie of Yahoo ended up breaking the story after Stephen Espinoza of Showtime kind of teased it with a tweet the UFC contract had this clause in it, or this warning in there, that if you disparage the UFC about the testing publicly, they could strip you of your bonus or your entire purse. Uh that was interesting. There were uh, Dana White ended up talking to Kevin Ioley and said that's in every contract, not just this. I, I don't, I don't have access to contracts. I can't say if that's true. And uh, you know, he's saying. Well, we'd only take away the, we'd only find them and take away their money if they lied. As long as they're saying something true, that's their opinion. They're okay. It's all sketchy as balls. Now, you know, I don't regularly sign these giant deals. I'm, is there language like this all the time? I don't know. It just seemed like considering Dana White's been trying to fight the media at like every turn in unnecessary ways. The, the less the media knows, the better off it is. <laughs> it, it just seems weird that uh, that they went to this length, but. Whatever. It doesn't change too many things to me, though. All right. As long as the media didn't have to sign that. I know they, they had to all got tested. What is going through the head of these media members and this uncertainty to go cover this fight? I don't know. I mean, would I cover it if it was, you know, within an hour drive of me and wear, wear a face mask? I don't know. I don't know if I would. It's it's. I don't think it's too early to have a fight card. But for me personally, it's too early to be getting out there on a plane or driving or whatever and, and being part of it. But I am grateful that the UFC did it. Did this. I'm excited about the Wednesday and Saturday cards coming up. I'm excited that business is back. I think in boxing and MMA, you can pull this off if you do it right and you spend the money. And given the guaranteed TV deals for the higher end promoters, it behooves them to do it. And I think they should. So uh, what a night tonight. What a night at the fights. I mean, this was a super card. It really played out like that. A lot of storylines, lots of talk about. Hope you enjoyed my rambling for 45 minutes. Um, but it's a state of combat at so at state of combat on Twitter at B Campbell CBS. We'll have Rashad Evans back this week to break things down on where we move from here, preview Wednesday's card, all that good stuff. May even get some guests as well. And uh, please tune in to CBS Sports HQ, your twenty four seven streaming news network. Rashad Evans and I went like 15 minutes live after the card tonight so you'll be seeing that on a loop check that out uh, for the whole team here for our super producer Mikey Mormont it's your boy BC signing off hope you enjoyed the fights we back baby trust me we back I back trust me I back and I out in fact we out trust me we out